We're in Daniel chapter number three, and this has probably been one of my favorite Bible stories of all time. And uh, we're going to talk about these uh, three, the three friends of Daniel today. Uh, we've spent the last uh, couple of lessons, uh, last week and then uh, three weeks ago, talking about focusing on Daniel himself. And so this week we get to see uh, Daniel's three friends. We know them by their Babylonian name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo. Or if you uh, grew up back in the 90s like I did, you knew them as Rakshak and Benny. Uh, and we'll see if that rings true with anybody here. Uh, but uh, anyway... Uh, no? Does anybody, who knows what I'm talking about there? Okay, all right. Go, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but anyway, we're going to look at them today. And so I, I love this story. I think this is where I, I got uh, the first message that I ever preached a long, long time ago. Uh, and so uh, let's read through it together, and uh, then we'll, we'll get into the lesson for today. Daniel chapter number one, look at verse, or Daniel chapter three, excuse me, look at verse number one. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof 60 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So you get the picture, Nebuchadnezzar, the king. We know he's the one that's already taken Daniel and the children of Israel captive. God has used him to bring punishment to Israel. He has taken Daniel and his three friends and the choicest of the children of Israel to Babylon, making them victims of human trafficking and, and uh, indoctrinating them with the teachings of the Babylonians and the Chaldeans, sorcery, witchcraft, uh, the occult, all those different things. And so now Nebuchadnezzar, has this great idea. Maybe it has been influenced uh, by the dream that he had in Daniel chapter number two of the great statue. And he thought, man, that's a great idea. I'll make a statue of myself. It was probably of himself. And he sets up this giant golden statue. And the Bible says that it was 60, excuse me, three score, 60 cubits. That's about 90 feet tall. A 90 foot golden statue of himself in Babylon. Now let's keep reading. Look at verse number two as Ashley continues to throw things. <laughs> then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes and the governors and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so Nebuchadnezzar has set up this golden image and he has called all of the leaders of Babylon, all the government officials. And we have this long list and there's a bunch of different names. And, and if you study it out, Bible scholars say that we know that these are a lot of different positions. These are, we know that each one of these guys did something different in the government, but we have absolutely no idea what it is. And so to that, I say, welcome to government. Um, and so all of these government officials are going to come and they're going to lead the rest of the nation uh, to bow before this idol. Verse number four. Then a herald cried aloud, or a messenger cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. So everybody in the city of Babylon, that at what time ye hear the sound of the, and then he lists a bunch of musical instruments, cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, 
flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. And so you got the picture. We've got this 90-foot golden statue, probably of Nebuchadnezzar. He has called all the leaders of Babylon to come together to institute this worship program of this statue. And then we're going to have a band music playing. And as soon as everybody hears that music, you're supposed to fall down and worship this image. Now, we said this, I think, our first week talking about this, but this is a Bible principle that we need to understand for Daniel, but also for much of Scripture as we are studying it. And that is this, whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. I think that's the first note, uh, first uh, uh, line in your notes. You've got the God of heaven, and then Satan has become the God of this world. You have uh, the Holy Spirit, and then Satan has given us demons or, or evil spirits. Then you've got uh, revival. Uh, God sends revival, Satan sends riots. Here in this story, we have uh, this golden image that the people are worshiping, taking away, image, uh, taking away worship of the one true God. We have a demonic worship band, basically, that is playing and calling these people uh, to worship this. Uh, you've got, uh, God has said that those who will not follow me, those who will not uh, uh, trust in me, they are going to be punished in a place called hell, a fiery hell. Uh, those that do not bow down to this idol in this story, they're going to be cast into a fiery furnace. Uh, God calls us to repentance from sin. Satan gives us the option to have tolerance of sin. So whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. And he does a good job of making sure uh, that it's close, but it's always a cheap knockoff, all right? Uh, it's always going to be the cheap knockoff. You go to, go to any city and you go to some back alley, uh, pretty sure that my sister, she was traveling, this, this is verifiable, uh, not, not, any, not this one. Uh, my oldest sister, she was traveling, I believe she went to New York City one time and uh, got into a van. Don't do that. Uh, bought some cheap knockoff handbag. All right, that's what Satan wants to give you. That's what Satan offers you. Uh, he doesn't offer you the real thing. He offers a counterfeit. And uh, what's that? <laughs> no? Okay, all right. Uh, I hope Rachel doesn't listen to this. Anyway, just called her out. Uh, so Satan counterfeits whatever God creates. Now, we read the story, we read of this 90-foot golden statue, and it's like, oh, that's nice. You know, that's, that's, that's a story that comes from the Bible, and so what is exactly does that have to do today? Now, I will bring your attention to this, and I want to show you a few things, because that same spirit, that same idea is still prevalent today. That is a picture of North Korea, where there is a giant statue of a man who believes that he is God, that people come to worship. Uh, this is in Turkmenistan, the leader of that country, a giant golden statue of a man who believes to be God, and he wants people to come and worship. That's China, a giant golden statue of a man who believes to be God, and he wants people to come and worship it. Now, what do I say that, okay? Um, I say that to, to remind us of what we began talking about in Daniel chapter number one, that there is a spirit of Babylon. 
that there is a spirit that has existed throughout the ages. It's not a coincidence that we read of a 90-foot golden statue in Daniel chapter number 3, and then we see uh, images of the same here in our present-day world. The same thing is happening. It's not a coincidence. It's the same spirit, the same demonic spirit that has influenced nations and governments and people and leaders throughout the years, throughout the ages, is still at work today. Now, here in America, okay, uh, we're not faced with this same issue. We're, we're not faced with a literal statue that is put up for us and we're to bow down to it. Uh, a, a physical statue is not what we have to deal with today. Here in America today, ideologies are the idols of our culture. Ideologies Ideas, the way we view life, the way we, we look at culture, the way we make decisions, the way we, we the, the opinions that we have about certain things, about lifestyle, about sin, about decision-making processes for the future. Ideologies are the idols of our culture. Those are the idols that we are to bow down to. Those are the idols that the world, that culture and society props up to us and says, you better bow down to these or we are going to cancel you. Uh, these are the, the things that you better bow down to and accept or we are going to, uh, uh, we're going to throw you into the proverbial fiery furnace and we're going to remove you from social media and we're going to uh, 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 say all kinds of bad things about you and, and we're going to make the rest of society and culture turn against you if you do not bow down to our idols of ideologies. And, and, and these, some of these, very obvious. We, we can look around and we see the ideologies of, of culture, whether it's critical race theory or, or, the, the, or transgenderism or, or, or anything like that. We see the issue with that. But can I tell you that there are some sneaky ideologies that Satan will try to feed to you that seem good on the outside? And he'll try to get you to bow down to those without you even knowing it. Let me give you an example of this, all right? Here in this story, in, in Daniel chapter number three, the culture of that society at the time, there was no separation of church and state. Church and state, government and religion were the same. They were considered the same. Much like many of the Eastern religions that we even see today. That's what we saw in those pictures. Uh, there's, a, there's a combination of the two. Uh, and to, uh, to the Babylonians, to Nebuchadnezzar, to um, Daniel and the Hebrew boys that are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace later in the story, uh, to them, they were being pushed uh, the idea that allegiance to a nation was higher than allegiance <coughs> to a personal God. It did not matter for whether it was Daniel and his friends or anybody else that was living in Babylon at the time. It did not matter what God you worshiped. It didn't matter if you had brought another God from another culture or another lifestyle. You were supposed to worship this 90-foot golden statue, which was probably Nebuchadnezzar. You're supposed to worship at the idol of Babylon. And Shadmach, Shadmach, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had a choice that they had to make because they were willing to be good Babylonians up to the point where it crossed the line of their faith in the one true God. They were willing to be good Babylonians until it crossed the line of their faith in the one true God. Now, now where, where am I going with this? How does this apply to us today? Hey, there was a study that came out several years back uh, of, it was a 
a very broad cross-section of, American, of Americans, American society. 150,000 people took this poll. They took this, this, uh, uh, this, this uh, test. And they were asked, one of the questions they were asked was, what is more important, your religion or being an American? What is more important, your religion or being an American? 13% of evangelicals, those that in that poll would probably be closest to us, that believe the Bible, uh, that want to see people trust Christ, uh, that have some kind of missional mindset, 13% of those people said being an American was more important to them than being a Christian. 72% of them said they were equal. And then 14% of them said that Christianity is more important. Now, before we go any further, let me say that I love America. And I believe every single person in here does as well. Okay? Uh, I fly the flag. I bleed red, white, and blue. Um, I am angry when people disrespect it. Uh, I thank veterans and first responders. I'm excited here in a couple of weeks where we're going to be able to honor all of our veterans on Veterans Sunday. We make a big deal out of America. I love America. I love living here. But here's, here's what we need to, to be able to, to remember. Okay? Here's what we need to be able to recognize uh, when it comes to ideologies of our day. Um, there is an increased politic politicization of society and it has found its way into the church. To where now we ask ourselves the question, is it the conservative or progressive or liberal way when we really need to be asking ourselves, is it the Jesus way? Um, we, 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 we have issues and certainly there are, there are legitimate things that we need to be concerned about when it comes to the politics and the government uh, of our nation. But we need to be asking ourselves, what is more important, the fact that I am a good citizen or the fact that I am a good Christian? That is the question that remains. When we read of Jesus, because he had the same issue that you and I face of an oppressive government, of, of government overstepping its bounds, of government uh, uh, putting its hands and fingers in places that it probably shouldn't have. Jesus had the same issue. You know, when you read uh, in the gospel when Jesus said, go the extra mile, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, we, all, we all talk about that and read about that. Um, you realize that when Jesus gave that instruction, that he was giving that in response to oppressive political and social agendas. The whole thought process behind that was when a Roman soldier came up to an average Jewish citizen and said, I want you to carry all of my equipment, my pack, they were required by law to carry that one mile. Now, that, that seems unfair. That seems unjust. That, that seems oppressive. Jesus said, hey, when the soldier asks you to carry his pack one mile, Instead of throwing a fit about it, instead of having a bad attitude, instead of, instead of uh, uh, protesting and, and you know, doing it and then throwing something up on social media, how dare they make me do this? Instead of doing that, take it two miles. Go above and beyond. So when we're thinking about the ideologies of our day, instead of what is the conservative or Republican or Second Amendment, and all of those things are important, what is the Jesus way? What is the right way? Now... I'm going to take, my step, my, take a step back from that, let you all process that. Let me give you another example, okay? Go with me to Romans chapter number one. 
Romans chapter number 1. All I'm saying is we need to make sure that we are not bowing down to ideologies that do not line up with Scripture, no matter how good that they may be, no matter how accepted that they may be. And so look at Romans chapter number one. We find another ideology. And we find what happens to those who do not hold to the ideologies of the world. Romans chapter number one. Look at verse number 18. And, and as, as we read this, okay, we're going to read through this. I, I'm just going to read a little and explain a little. Read a little and explain a little. You're not going to hear my opinion. We're going to hear scripture. So as we read this, if, if, if something within you says, I don't know if I agree with that, remember, this is scripture. All right, so look at Romans chapter number one. Look at verse number 18. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, look at that, that phrase, that, that phrase at the end of verse number 18, hold the truth in unrighteousness. That's very important. We're going to come back to that, but let me just explain real quick. To hold the truth means to withhold the truth. It also means to hold the truth down, or in our modern terminology, it means to suppress the truth. To suppress the truth. Uh, modern ideologies suppress the truth. And we'll come back to that in just a second. Look back at verse number 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Um, God is saying here, first of all, let me, let me make this real clear. I am not trying to hide myself from mankind. I'm not trying to hide myself from man. I, I want to make it very obvious. I, I, I make it obvious through creation. As you look around, you see how I've created this world. I make it obvious through the conscience of man. As you know, in er- inherently, you know what's right and what's wrong, even without reading scripture. But man has made the choice to reject God and instead make gods of their own. Uh, we find in verse number uh, 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. They reject the creator. They serve the creation. Uh, they reject the one who made the mind and instead serve intellect and education. Uh, they reject the one who provides the means to make wealth and instead serve that wealth and what it can bring. They reject the one who formed the body, who created it out of the dust of the earth and hit with his own hands, and instead serve the body and what it can become. They reject the one who instituted human sexuality and instead serve sex and lust and passion. Um, look at verse number 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even... Their woman did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense 
uh, of their error, which was meat, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. What happens here? God allows man, man who is bent on following false ideology, man who is uh, uh, bent on creating his own gods instead of choosing the, the, the one true God, God allows man to follow what he wants, even though this will take man far from God. That's the story of Romans. Uh, it starts out here in Romans chapter number one, and then it continues to where man is brought back to God in Romans 10 through salvation through the work of Christ. Uh, man in his depravity will only find salvation in Christ. And so we see here that ultimately the ideology of the spirit of Babylon is man rejects God and moves farther and farther away from him. If you remember several weeks ago, we said that one of the things that the spirit of Babylon does to influence us is it dismantles the family. And in doing that, it attacks healthy sexual uh, human sexuality, uh, the attitude towards what God has intended for sex to be. Uh, look at Revelation chapter number 14 and verse number 8. And I don't have this for the screen, so if you've got your Bibles, turn there. Revelation 14, 8. We looked at this verse uh, in our first week. I just wanted to remind us of this. Revelation 14, 8 says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen is fallen. That great city, the city in influenced by the spirit of Babylon, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Uh, that word fornication comes from the Greek word porneia, which is where we get our word pornography from, and it means all sexual sins outside of biblically defined marriage, outside of God's plan. And so when we, when we look at uh, Romans chapter number one, which is probably one of the most hated chapters in the Bible because it just calls out sin, but it starts with the ideology that man can create his own God and it eventually leads to this reprobate mind where man has completely left God's plan to follow his own plan. The ideology that the opposite of God's plan is normal. Uh, that promiscuous living, uh, that one night stands, that party mentality, that lust of the click of a button and search on the internet, that, that, that what I do with my body, that sex is a choice and not a gift of God, that it's binary and not absolute, uh, that ideology is what is being pushed from man that has rejected God. And we see that in our culture today. And so then look at, uh, back at Romans chapter number one and look at verse number 29. Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 29. And this is what happens when this ideology is fully realized. And as we read Romans chapter 1 verses 29 through 32, I say this is 21st century America. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, let me, let me take us back to verse number 18, because those are the ideologies that are being pushed 
today. Those are the ideologies that our culture wants to push upon us. And when we do not line up with those, when we would rather hold to the truth than follow these ideologies of culture, this is what happens. Look back at verse number 18. The last line of that said, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Those who would promote ideologies that are opposite of the truth. Those who would promote this culture that would raise up this idol that require all men and women uh, to fall down in worship. Those who do not fall to that, those who do not follow those, those who will not bow down to those idols, truth is suppressed. Uh, can I say this, okay? First of all, when ideology becomes an idol, truth suppression has to happen. When, I, when a false ideology has to happen, then truth, anything that is true, anything that is the opposite of that ideology must be suppressed. It has to be. Because if the truth gets out, what does the Bible say? The truth will set you free. So truth must be suppressed. Uh, can I say this, that the cancel culture in our day today is Romans 1 truth suppression. That's what it is. It is Romans 1 truth suppression. When an ideology becomes an idol, truth suppression has to happen. And as long as you walk the line, you're okay. As long as you use the hashtag, as long as you fly the flag, as long as you support the cause, as long as you uh, toe the line, as long as you don't say anything negative, as long as you uh, just come and fill your spot, give a little money to the cause when, when, when you're supposed to, uh, then you're fine. But when you get out of line, when truth comes out, when a, when a believer holds to truth, and is going to do things according to scripture, that's when you get blocked from social media, you get your books removed from Amazon, you get your sermons removed from YouTube, you get discredited on the news media, and they point out all negative examples of why what you believe is wrong and false and hypocritical. True suppression. That is culture today. That is, that is the world in which we live today. So, what happens? What happens in a culture that was trying to force Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down to this idol? Look back at Daniel and look at chapter number one again, or three, and look at verse number eight. Daniel chapter number one. In fact, skip right to verse number 16. Because Daniel and his friends obviously do not bow down to this idol. It's discovered. They're reported to the king. They're brought before the king. He demands an answer of them. What they say, verse number 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So what do you do in an every knee shall bow moment? When everybody else is bowing down, when, when culture is forcing you to bow down to the ideology of the day, what do you do in a moment like that? Well, first of all, just looking back at these guys' example, what didn't they do? Because I think what they didn't do is just as important as what they did do. First of all, they did not start a protest. They did not start a movement on social media. Uh, they did not start marching around Babylon preaching about why this idol was wrong. They didn't do that. 
Uh, they did not make a petition that Nebuchadnezzar was being unfair. They did not do any of that. Uh, they, they weren't even making a scene out in public. They had to be found and brought to Nebuchadnezzar. We do not read of them saying anything or doing anything until Nebuchadnezzar brings them. The only thing that they didn't do is they, they didn't bow down. We'll come to that in just a second. So what did they do? What did they do? Number one, they followed Daniel's example of respect and wisdom. Last week, we said that Daniel had influence in Babylon because he avoided lack of wisdom and avoided, and avoided a lack of respect. Again, they had to be brought before the king. They weren't trying to make a big issue out of it. Uh, they, weren't, they just weren't going to do it. They weren't trying to make a statement. They were just going to not do it. And when they are brought before the king, when they are answer with wisdom and respect. Go back to verse number 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered. First of all, they listened to the king. They didn't just come before the king and start shouting back at the king, saying, this is why we're not going to do this. You're wrong. You're stupid. You're ugly. Um, they didn't do that. They waited for the king to talk to them. They had respect. They answered with respect. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We are not careful to answer the, in this matter. And when they say not careful, I mean they weren't careless. They, they didn't have to think about it. They, they knew what they were going to do. They didn't have to weigh their options. They knew what they believed. They knew in whom they believed. So they answered with respect. But then they asked, answered with uh, wisdom. They answered with wisdom as well. Uh, remember last week we said that wisdom for Daniel was differentiating between what was sinful and what was offensive. He knew it was sinful. He wouldn't cross that line. If it was offensive, he didn't like it, but he wasn't necessarily going to make a big deal out of it. Can I also say, take it a step further, but wisdom is differentiating between being offended and living offended. There's a difference between those two. You realize that, right? There's a difference between being offended. Look, that is inevitable. If you don't believe me, just take five minutes and scroll through social media. Scroll through Facebook. You will get offended. Walk from here to church. You'll get offended. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, maybe not. Uh, you will get offended. There is, a, there is a difference between being offended and living offended. I was having a conversation with somebody uh, earlier this week about, uh, about this, this series. We were just talking about it. And, and he brought up righteous indignation. You know, we, we, we talk about righteous indignation. And, and I'm angry rightfully over sin and I am right, uh, rightfully anger over this cancel culture and the ideologies of the day. I am rightfully angry, righteous anger. Um, first of all, I, I think a lot of times that's the only part of God that we try to be like. You think about that? That's the only part of God that we try to, to, to have in our life is his righteous anger. We're just going to be righteously angry about all these things. Uh, but the thing is, while God is angry at sin and God, God punishes sin, um, that's not how God operates towards the sinner. And, and we get that confused. Uh, we, we choose, uh, instead of just being offended, we choose to live offended. We allow that to affect our spirit. Where the Bible says in James 1, 19 and 20, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You and I being angry, acting in anger, responding in anger, does not give us 
influence. Uh, Proverbs 15, 18, a wrathful man stirreth up strife. But he that is a slow to anger, slow to anger appeaseth strife. Proverbs 22, 24, make no friendship with an angry man. When, if, you're, if, if we deal with anger, God says you should not have any friends. Don't, don't be angry. Don't let that affect you. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirs up strife. Furious man aboundeth in transgression. There's no good with living offended, being angry all the time. Uh, Ephesians 4, 26 through 32, the Bible says, be angry. You say, oh, God says, tells us to be angry. But then he says, sin not. Most of the time, our anger is coupled with pride. Most of the time, our anger, it's not pure anger. It's not pure, righteous, heavenly anger against sin. No, most of it's just we're offended. We didn't like it. So we're prideful when we're angry. God says, be angry and sin not. Uh, look at verse number 29. Let not cor no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That which is good to the use of edifying. It's hard to be edifying and encouraging when you're angry. That it may minister grace unto the, ear, unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of wrath uh, of God, excuse me, whereby ye are sealed in the day of redemption. Uh, look at verse number 32, okay? Because even if you think that I can have righteous anger, I can be angry righteously. Look what God says in verse number 31. Let all... Again, I'm no English major, but I know that all means all, and that's all that all means. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Let all. All. Even if, it's, even if you think it's good, let it be put away and replace it with the love of Christ. In verse number 32, that is the spirit of Christ, the spirit of humility and love and grace. Uh, listen, the message of the gospel, and we'll see this next week, the message of the gospel and the truth of salvation is too import for, important for us to waste it with our pride. It's too important. So what did they do? They, did, or they, they, they practiced uh, Daniel's example of respect and wisdom. And then number two, and we'll finish here, they practiced non-participation. They practiced non-participation. They just... It was as simple as that. They had the right spirit about it. They had respect and wisdom. And they just didn't do it. They didn't try to make anybody else do it. They just didn't do it. That was enough. That was enough. They just didn't do it. So when you're faced with a situation where the ideologies of the world are set before you, whether it's, you know, following a certain lifestyle, uh, whether it's supporting a certain cause, when those are set before you, it doesn't have to be a huge major blow-up thing. With the right spirit, you say, I, I, I just don't believe that. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. You know, I, I serve and follow Christ, um, and that's going to be it. Just non-participation. That's what they did. Um, now, we got to stop here, so I'll just say this. Uh, it might get hot, <laughs> That's what it did for these guys. Uh, they did get thrown in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar got real mad, gave him a stink eye. Um, he got real mad, threw him into the fiery furnace. But this is what you need to see, and this is how the story ends. Daniel 3, verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto the counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto him, uh, said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, 
I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. Babylon's, uh, you read later in the next few verses that when they came out of the fire, they didn't even smell like fire. They, they weren't burned, they weren't singed, they didn't even smell like smoke. Can I say that Babylon's influence had no effect and neither did Babylon's injustice. They would not fall and down and bow to the ideologies of the day. And when Babylon tried to get them, it had no effect on them. Why? Because there is one who remains faithful and uh, with those who remain faithful. If we remain faithful, we hold to the truth, we do it correctly in the spirit of Christ. And this one that is there with us in the fire. Ye are of God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so, uh, can I just encourage you? Uh, first of all, if you haven't already, you're going to be faced with the ideologies of the world, the idols of this world. Whether it's in your workplace, your school, um, as you have friends in this world, uh, you're going to be faced with those. And so let's, let's, let's determine now. We're going to respond. We're not going to bow, but we're going to respond the right way. We're going to do what these guys did, and we're going to be able to have influence in Babylon. All right, uh, let me give you a couple of quick announcements because we are way over time. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, number one, tonight after the evening service, let me encourage you, if you can be here um, after the evening service, we're going to go over to uh, the school property, and we're going to enjoy a wedding reception for Abraham and uh, his wife,